0: This podcast is intended for adults and might include adult language, themes, and sex education. If you're under the age of 18, we recommend visiting scarlatine.com. Who played show-and-tell? It was fun and exciting to tell our friends and classmates about what we were proud of, what we had learned, what our favorite new toy was. And somewhere along the way... We learned that we are not supposed to show or tell our stories and experiences about sex and our bodies. Show and Tell Sex is a podcast produced by Self-Serve Toys in collaboration with KUNM, a public radio station in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Self-Serve Toys is a feminist sex shop in Albuquerque, New Mexico, specializing in body-safe, non-toxic toys with a health and education focus. Find us online at selfservetoys.com. On Show & Tell Sex, we'll show you the parts that so often get left unsaid. We'll show you the parts that we've silenced. We will tell our secrets. We will be brave together. And we'll have some fun, because Show & Tell was always fun. Thank you for tuning in to Show & Tell Sex. My name is Hunter, and I'm very glad that you're listening, because we've got a really great episode coming up for you. We did our first ever live podcast recording at the New Mexico Podscape Festival. You can find them on Facebook. It was the first year of the New Mexico Podscape Festival, and you can think of it kind of like a podcast orgy. <laughs> so there was podcast after podcast after podcast being live recorded at a beautiful, you know, historic building in in Albuquerque, um, and we were so lucky to be there, so lucky to be asked to uh, to be involved. And we had a discussion about sexuality and masculinity. I had two guests on, and we got to g- get into some really interesting and sort of sweet and tender places um, around masculinity and sexuality because there's a lot there. Um, we spoke with Leon Mi- Leon Mitchell and he- and he's a friend and you know educator activist here in Albuquerque and then we also spoke to Charles nairn Mahan who's my partner and also has some you know interesting thoughts about sexuality and masculinity. We also got to geek out about what it's like to date somebody who works at a sex shop because I get a lot of questions about that. So um – We also had amazing audience participation at this event, and I'm bummed that we couldn't get everybody in a studio because there were so many good questions and comments that came out of this discussion, but I hope that means that you all will share with us your questions and comments about it because we would love to have this conversation topic again, and um, we always want to know what you think and where you want these conversations to go. So if you have anything to add to this discussion, you can send us an email Info at selfservetoys.com. We would love to hear from you. And if you want us to discuss your question or comment on the next episode of the podcast, just let us know in that email. We will happily do so. But thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate the support. If you want to be really nice and go and support us some more, we would love to get your reviews and your feedback on our iTunes page, on our Stitcher page, all of those places where you listen to podcasts. Give us a rating, give us a review. It helps a lot. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoy this episode about masculinity and sexuality.
1: So this is Show and Tell Sex and this is our first live recording
0: and we are Facebook liveing right now. So I will let you all know that we're Facebook liveing in the basement of a really amazing building. So our connection may go out. Also, my phone battery might die. We don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to be an adventure tonight, but we're really excited that you're joining us. Um, And today we're going to be talking to these two lovely humans sitting next to me. Um, I have Leon and I have Charles and I'll let both of them explain a little bit about themselves. Um, But uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about masculinity and sexuality. And um, some of the things that come up around that, I also asked Charles if he would be nice enough because this is my, my, my current partner and I asked him if he would be nice enough to let me talk to him about what it's like to date somebody who works at a sex shop because we actually get a lot of questions. And people ask me all the time, like, what does your mom think? And like what does your boyfriend think? And so I so it's, it's it's a question that I get a lot, so I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Um so first before we dive in, I'm really excited to be here at the first ever New Mexico Podscape Festival. Yeah, woo! And we've got some folks who are watching us today. So um we're very excited to be here, and it's an honor. So um, first, I guess I'll just let you talk a little bit, Leon. Tell me about yourself. What work do you do? You know, what's what are you about?
2: Well, uh, my name is Leon, and I I was born and raised in Oaxaca, Southern Mexico. But my father is from the United States, so I consider myself bicultural, binational, biracial, and I find that you know duality has played a big role in my life including the masculine and feminine polarity. Right. Um, And right now, um, I just moved back to Albuquerque at the beginning of the year in March. We're glad to have you. Thank you. (laughs) I'm (laughs) glad to (laughs) be here. I lived in Albuquerque before, and I fell in love love with it. So when I decided to move back to the US and was looking where to go, it felt like Albuquerque would be like coming home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm here for now. I don't know how long, but this is feels good right now, feels right.
0: Please stay forever. <laughs> I mean, whatever you want, but if you
2: want to stay forever. Maybe, have
0: maybe I'll say a, have you. a home base here. <laughs> for, um, yeah,
2: you can so. have like a traveling life. So. Yeah, there you go. Okay, I like it. I get it. Um, good. Well, I'll be boarding next year. Congratulations. So I've to, yeah, I'm trying to have those thoughts of maybe settle down somewhere, maybe my house, set up a home base somewhere. And Albuquerque is looking nice for that. It's Mostly. so good here. <laughs> it is so good here. Yeah. Um, so I'm just kind of basically figuring out what I want to do now on, right now I'm doing mostly like freelance work, uh, anywhere from graphic design, illustration to uh, Spanish-English translation and interpreting. That's mainly what I'm doing right now, but I'm looking for interesting adventures.
0: And it's a good place to be if you're doing translation, I yeah. Would imagine. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Cool. Thanks. And so, and so aside from. Um, Having me rope you in to do things like this. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do, Charles? Who
3: are you? Uh, Well, see, my name's Charles, right? Uh, hi, Charles. As you said, I'm your partner. We've been together for three years this week. Oh, yeah. This, this weekend's our anniversary. This is
0: our anniversary <laughs> weekend, actually. <laughs> and so we we're pretty excited. I was like, leave. Hey, what, what's,
3: what's partners mean? You guys are dating, right?
4: Yes, yes.
0: we okay. are dating.
3: <laughs> we're also, Thank you. We're also cohabitating, right? We do. Um, I have a daughter from a previous <laughs> relationship who Hunter is helping me you know uh, raise mm-hmm. um, we also surprise have, mom no. right. we also have, <laughs> we also have a, an open uh, non-monogamous relationship
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah
3: um, so I, I use the term partner because Hunter said she doesn't like the term girlfriend cause it's somewhat diminutive
0: it just it, it feels to me like high school like when i'm like oh it's my boyfriend oh my gosh my boy and it's like it's true but it, to me it feels like high school so i've always really pr- preferred the term partner but i don't have a like I've, i'm like super happy people who use other terms and for me partner is um more gender neutral too so i can call somebody my partner and they can be of any gender, gender fluid exactly exactly so so anybody you know of, of the partners that i have I can call all of them a partner. And it's, it's still an accurate, you know, it's, it's still an accurate thing. So, yeah, that's, that's what we've got
4: Say you guys are dating.
0: We're dating too, but we're also cohabitating. We're fucking, you know, we're doing some things. <laughs> we oh, do things, things. Um, yeah, means, it's a lot of things, things yeah. Things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's
3: um, see, like the short nutshell version of my life. Um, well, I was born and grew up on the East Coast in New England, primarily. And then moved out here um, during my formative years, and really just kind of dug down in Mexico while I was growing up here, and I really liked it. And so I went to school here, I've uh, been living here, and uh, my day-to-day is kind of doing blue-collar work. Um, and do you want to tell me No, what? okay, no, no, no. Just kidding. Um, I want to know. <laughs> So I work I work in I work in a warehouse and I do shipping and receiving. That's the but what I actually do according to is I pack boxes real tight. Yeah. yeah. That's what I like here <laughs> so when he
0: talks about his job. It's like tell
3: people you pack boxes real tight. Yeah, but I like the very you know, the laid back kind of copacetic atmosphere and vibe I get from Mount Picky, so I have no desire to leave and I, I enjoy the work that I'm doing the people that I'm um, around. Awesome. Thank you.
0: Um, so our topic today, and, and the way show and tell sex works, is we like to gather you know, people together to talk about a specific topic. And specifically, I love to hear people's stories, right? We want to hear and give space for people to tell their stories around sex and sexuality. Because so many of us have come to a place where we feel like we have to be silenced, and we feel like we can't talk about things openly. So when we have a space where we can actually very openly talk about sex and sexuality for a lot of folks, it's a very liberating experience. So for those who don't know about self serve, you know, we do that every day. We've been in Albuquerque for ten years, and that's that's like the sweet, gooey, ooey, like oh, it's so good. Like that's what I do for a living, and I get to hear those stories. And so being able to share that with you all and with anybody who's tuning in or anybody who's watching it, like, that makes me like it makes my heart just get really big. Um, so. When it comes to masculinity, it's this really amazing thing where I get to talk to folks every day who come into the store and who have questions about their own masculinity or have questions about it in general. You know, I teach a blowjob class and I teach a hand job class, and one of my favorite things about that class is telling folks, you know, if you play with penises or even not with penises, somebody who's having masculinity, like. You have to think about the ways in which we're we're giving people who 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 were sort of like spoon feeding this masculinity we're giving them a lot of messages and sometimes that's that's a heavy message you know and sometimes there's a lot of stuff tied into what it means to be a masculine person and um giving some space to unpack that and giving some space for that to exist in its complexity is really important because for most folks there's going to be a moment or several moments throughout their life where they're wondering like okay but like does this make me a masculine person or a man and one thing i think that's important to acknowledge in this conversation is that we're not you know we're not just talking about cis men right we're not just talking about people with penises we're talking about masculinity in general right because that that is a very that is a different concept and i think that it's important to think about masculinity right outside of genitals so that's one thing that self tries to do and i want to maintain that in this conversation and I also might fuck it up, so I hope I don't. But 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 it is a thing that I think is important to recognize, right? Is that we get we get in our heads and we get into this place where we're like, well, like you know, like man, penis, masculinity, and it's not that way, right? And so you can have, um, you know, people. Like, like you you can have people who express masculinity in lots of different ways, even though they might not, you know, have certain identities. So I think that's important just to think about as far as this conversation goes, but. Um, Being able to explore masculinity and look at what we're given and what we're taught and what we perceive um, as people who might have partners who are masculine in some way, I think is a really valuable conversation because we're not given an open dialogue and discussion about it. So, I know that's a lot to like lead in with, you know, but um, as far as some of the messages about masculinity that you were given growing up, And um, what you maybe what you saw on TV or what your parents told you, what are some of the things that you? What what are some of the messages that you were given about masculinity growing up? And I don't know if if anybody's like I want to start. I want to start. Oh, oh, we've got violence is a
4: really good way to solve problems.
0: Right. So from the audience, we have that violence. The messages we're told is that violence is a really good way to solve problems, and I think that is a really common message. So. Let's like, you know, is that something that you all got as far as, you know, what were some of the messages about masculinity? What, what do you think? What do you think? If anybody
2: wants to go first. Uh, I <laughs> um, well, I was, I was uh, raised to uh, be a woman. Mm-hmm. And so, but since I was very young, like as soon as I understood the concept of gender, I mm-hmm. around three years old, I knew I was in trouble. I knew like, something's mm-hmm. going on here, something's not right. Like, you got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somebody's got like something wrong here. I don't know who exactly. But, um, uh, and, I, and a lot of the messages where I was getting was like, okay, you're not supposed to dress this way, you're not supposed to play with these toys, you're not supposed to sit this way, but this other way. Even though for me it was like, but that doesn't feel right, that's not who I am. Right. But you know, back then I couldn't really articulate or um, Say no! This is what I want. Um, and it wasn't. I guess I grew up kind of a like a tomboy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a constant fight, especially with my mom, for me to be more like. My dad, he was perfectly fine with me doing whatever. Whatever. Um, he would take us. Uh, he would take me, and, and he would take my sister sometimes too. She's a little younger. Uh, and like he taught. He taught us how to throw knife should have worn yeah. an arrow, should have gone. With my mom was like, those are her boy activities, you know, they're gonna turn them into boys. And my dad was like, when that happens that's fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I do remember that was <laughs> that
1: <wasn't
2: fun. laughs> uh, but I do remember getting messages about like that my expression of masculinity was not okay. Because I was supposed to be a girl. And also, uh, growing up in Mexico, it was a very macho, a, a macho mexicano. That image is very, you know, and, you know like the, the el charro, you know, the, you, you take a, he's, the, he's the, the man in charge, you know, the, everybody's supposed to obey him. Uh, I could see that, like my family was not like that, but I could see that in my friends and I could see that in my neighbors and I could see that in the community. And that's still very, a very, very, uh, very much the stereotype of what a man is. Right,
0: right. Oh, we have, no, we have another another did, did
4: you feel the discrimination as part of being like you what you knew you were
2: at that point? I think at some point in my life, when I was very young, I just started feeling like there's something wrong with me. So anything that came from outside that was negative or denying who I was, like I never questioned, like maybe they're wrong, maybe Maybe, no, maybe you're the one who's messed up here and I'm okay, I always internalize it and assume it was me. So I feel like, yeah, I, I did experience a lot of discrimination, um, but in a way I wasn't aware of it because to me it was like, well that makes sense because there's something wrong with me. So it makes sense to people to be you know, mean to me or cruel or, or push me aside just because I deserve that. Like it took me a lot of work to be like, no, I'm okay, you're the guy I said, I'm not
0: okay, (laughs) I'm like, can you tell me how you did that? Because that's such a hard lesson to learn, is to like, to be getting those messages, you know, and to not internalize it, and to not take it personally, and it's like, how the, I'm just, I I don't know, it's something that I struggle with on a regular basis, to be like, oh, I feel like shit about myself, and like, man, I really, like, I'm not performing up to these ideals of what I think I should yeah. be. And, and so, just, I'm like, you don't and have to tell me now. Okay. Yeah, but we carry it throughout our lives. And so, I'm like, anybody who who figures out some method of, like, still living as a human and not just, like, being, like, weighed down with this terrible awfulness of, like, never being good enough, Yeah, I just... How do you do it? I mean, you know, let us know in the comments. Okay. Yeah, story. I know, exactly. I'm like, you teach a class on that. I don't
1: know. Yeah. Like it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> Holy
0: shit. Well that's
2: you know what I what I mentioned earlier when you asked me what I'm doing and I said I'm looking to other things to do. That's I wanna get into more of that, like being able to share with people and and I don't so as much teaching people, but maybe just being like, hey, you know, this is what I did, maybe it'll work for you. Um, or Maybe if you just talk about it, and I can listen to you with an open heart and you know with love, maybe that will help you. Because that's a, a big deal. Why it helped me because just finding somebody who was like, "Oh, I'm not gonna judge you. I'll really listen to you carefully care for you." Right. Okay. Having that support. Were your parents, yeah. were your parents accepting? Eventually. Eventually. Uh, yeah. I mean, my dad was always. My dad's a whole different sort of human being. Uh, and he, was always kind of, he was always pretty much okay. Uh, my mom was the one I had more struggle with, struggle with but she's very okay with it now. Yeah. It, it took, you know, she was very programmed as a Mexican woman, and gender roles were very defined for her, so it was very hard for her to like, accept my change. And with my dad, he was like, oh, you know, the being, he, my dad, um, uh, he's a mystic, and so he's like, beings have no gender. That's just part of the human identity, and you can change that all you want. So, thanks, that's, that's good to know.
1: <laughs> you got yeah. punching the five. Oh, oh, no. oh, wow. <laughs> awesome, we've got one more audience question.
0: I'm going to try and repeat them. Just okay. To, yeah. um,
4: so, I'm curious did you ever feel like you could take certain lessons of what it meant to be a man and leave others? Like, how, how did that particular aspect of of masculinity work for you, okay. and, and
0: so just oh, so so to repeat question. the question, yes. sort of like what you know, what did you take, what did you leave as far as you know what it means to be a man and have masculinity? Like, what are some of the things that you take, and, and what did you leave for your experience? Does that does that represent your question yes. well? Okay, yes, great.
2: Well, one of the reasons why I decided to move back to Albuquerque recently is because this is where I transitioned originally. And so it's kind of like my second hometown. Like I was born again here, mm-hmm. Leon was born here basically.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah,
2: so and, and back then when I started transitioning, I was already very at home with the les- lesbian community.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, they were very supportive and in a lot of ways. And one of the ways they were supportive were like, they would call me on stuff like, hey, is this the kind of guy you want to be? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's sexist, that's not okay because of this. And that helped me really um, a lot to be like, okay, I get to choose what kind of guy I want to be, and and also looking at men around my life and seeing like, what what's the kind of you know if i want to be perceived as a man or as male, you know, how I, how do I want people to feel when they're around me? Well, this the way I feel around certain of kind of men, which was very very um, uh, sensible man, very loving man, very uh, kind. Um, warm kind of masculinity. So that's the, the, the way that I want to be.
0: Well, and that, that kind of brings me around to a little bit of what you and I have talked about, about the way that you were raised, and mm-hmm. as far as sort of being raised in a very like woman led household and household, mm-hmm. and some, some of the experiences that you had. So, I mean, what what was your experience? What were some of the messages you got about masculinity growing
3: up? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, so my experience growing up is probably unique in that my mother was a very um, assertive, um, no-nonsense kind of a woman. Right?
0: She is. I can attest to that. <laughs> um,
3: and my father is a very nice, genial guy. Um, he kind of just goes along with whatever. Not to say that he, he, he could be pushed around, right? But, but my mother kind of is the one who sets the course in these things. So, for me, I never had any difficulty um, being around strong women, right? Because my mother's my my mother actually purposefully estranged herself from her own father when she was twenty one because she discovered uh, that he was like fooling around on her mother, and my grandmother. And, she so said, she's, and like, she's like, can't talk to this asshole. <laughs> I'm, go, I'm, I'm gonna go out. You know, I don't need you. I don't want anything to do with you. I'm gonna go make my own way in the world. She blazed the trail you know, for herself. Um, and then she met my dad and they got along and had three kids. But my mother was always the one who kind of, um, like I said, set the course and set the tone for things. But she wasn't like um, domineering, mm-hmm. right? She might be a little like dominating. I mean, you know, do you a little bit of a difference there? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah but I've, I've, and my father's father died when he was 12. Mm-hmm. So I never really had any grandfathers, right? So I okay. mean, my father, right? Um, I never really had an overt, you know, classic male image, you know, other than the attributes that we, we ascribe to masculinity of you know, being like powerful or assertive or, you know, decisive. Mm-hmm. That always kind of came from my mother, mm-hmm. right? right? But they also had like, a good relationship and there was a good like division of labor because my dad did all the traditional male things like fix the car, mow the lawn. My mom like cleaned house, cooked like that in the kids. So
0: they had some sort of like stereotypical gender role breakdown, but it also worked out that your dad wasn't like the head of household. Yeah. Not so it's the... kind of like you got you got some of that stereotype gender role, mm-hmm. but you also didn't because it sounds like your mom was kind of like wearing the hat, or the pants, or well, the yeah, hat yeah. and the pants.
3: Yeah, the it's like Both of my parents were also in the military, that's how they, right. they met, right. and my mother, you know, went in as an officer, right, she went as an army nurse. She actually volunteered. To go to Vietnam, right? But unfortunately unfortunately for her, the war ended before she got to go. She was like,
0: I'm ready. She got,
3: she got, she got orders <laughs> to go, but the war ended and she couldn't. <laughs> right. Right? But she stayed in uh, after my father left, right? And she became a lieutenant colonel, right? Which is a pretty high ranking officer. Mm-hmm. Right? So she was very responsible and in charge of a lot of people and in charge of a big portion of the operation where she was working. And she actually did go to the first Gulf War.
0: And she's also still, like, as far as your your household and your family goes today, she's still, like, fairly in charge, too. Oh, yeah. uh-huh. She's still, yeah. like, very much yeah, the person who, like, organizes all the things and is like, you go here, you do this, yeah, no, much this. to maybe some people's chagrin.
2: Well, she's the
3: matriarch of mine. <laughs> yeah, <profession>. she is.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um,
3: so, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I ever had the exposure to the overt... You know, negative aspects of, of masculinity that we're we're talking about here, like because somebody mentioned violence, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and my my father's not especially a violent person. You know, mm-hmm. my mother was actually the one who spanked me. Um, and <laughs> we've
0: got some good. I've heard some good stories. We won't share them here,
3: yeah. but um, <laughs> you know, we I've heard some good stories. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, you know and on that point, like my mother was always also the one who like introduced me. To, um, like, so one of the books that like, my parents like, gave me because they couldn't talk to me about sex education when I was... What? I hear that never happens. <laughs> <laughs> so when I, when I was going through that, they left, um, they left our bodies ourselves out yeah. for me to find... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that, and that was very helpful. Uh, although, you know, context would have been great. But, right. uh, good luck. <laughs> uh, and then I discovered, you know, later on I discovered, like, my parents' Joy of Sex book. <laughs>
0: <Perfect>. <laughs> right. uh,
3: but then, later after that, when I was about 14 or 15, my mother actually gave me the Feminine Mystique right. to read. Right. And so that was very clarifying and very eye opening for me. I'm like, huh. Because I hadn't actually considered what it must be like. To live as a woman um, in this society, because I'd always lived my life as like a man, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So to hear you know somebody talk very intelligently and very eloquently about their experience, and this was actually the experience of my mother because she was growing up and living during the time this book was written, right? right? Right. So that was very interesting to me. Right. Yeah. And so I'd also be curious to hear. Oh, I'm
0: sorry. Is there there was a question?
4: Or were you stretching? No, 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 no uh, I okay. But please, go ahead. Oh, uh,
0: no. I want to hear
4: your question. Uh, my, my question is, like, uh, growing up and, and um, dealing with, like, gender norms, like, as a society, what's right and wrong? It, and you knew it was, you were taught it was wrong. Is there, a, like, a specific day or, like, you thought, like, well, no, you're wrong. And this is me. Is there is there, a, is there a point in time where you thought like, okay, this is how I perceive beyond uh, a specific uh, gender norm. Like, I, I'm gonna be me. Mm-hmm. Right. So is is there a time? Is there a timeline? Like, is there like a specific day?
0: Right. That's a really amazing question. So I just want to repeat it so folks can really hear it. Um, I, and, I, and tell me if I'm, correct. Me if I'm wrong. But I believe what your question is asking is like, was there a specific day or time or experience where you were able to sort of um, take the messages that you've been given about masculinity and either reject or accept them? Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Great. Um, so does anybody want like? Mm.
1: Huh?
0: Well, I guess. I mean, I
3: don't. I. Maybe I'll think of it as I'm talking, but I can't think of it a specific moment in time when that was happening. Um, I do remember thinking, being confronted with what the models of masculinity are, and being attracted to some of them and being turned off by some of them. I tried to figure out what was it about these things that I liked, and were they inherently problematic or toxic, right? So, the, the word I use, like, um, those two words I use really like dominating and domineering, right? Mm-hmm. So I think as a, as a quote-unquote man, you can be, like, assertive, right, mm-hmm. and single-minded and dominant, right? Those are qualities that can be attributed to any person, and they're can be positive because they can give you positive results. The problem is when it becomes toxic, when they're, like, dominating, and you refuse to, like, compromise, right, mm-hmm. or you refuse to listen, Listening. right? Right. Where you, you fail to understand your own motivations, which is uh, something you learn when you have emotional awareness, which is something that you don't get taught as a man. As so a man, you get taught that you are angry, right, or you are lustful, or you're hungry, that kind of, right? Your horny,
0: or you're horny, I mean, which, is lustful, is, lustful, which right? is lustful, but I like to use the combination word of horngry
3: and
0: you're
4: to yeah. horny
0: all at once. It's yeah. Like, um, hey, I'm, I'm fucking horny. So yeah. That's exactly. why I'm
3: angry right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, I guess maybe there was it's a, great a, fucking a podcast. there was a time when I was in high school when uh, I've always been a kind of a shy introverted person, but I noticed friends of mine, peers who were men, uh, were kind of playing like the bad boy role, you know, and women. Um, our girls would like be attracted to that, and I couldn't figure it out. Why? I'm like Why are these people attracted to like this negative asshole, right? And then I thought, do I want to emulate that? Like, do I want to treat people that way? I'm like, no, not really. It's not. It's not. I, I'm not gonna feel good about it. It's gonna get me, maybe, necessarily, I, I want you know attention from you know women. But uh, I said, no, I'm not gonna do that because it's not the person that I want to be. Right. Yeah, so that was kind of my
0: high school form Yeah. How
2: about I think for me, it was a sort of more of a process. There wasn't one specific moment. But it was definitely a series of steps and processes. And, and we're talking about the, the tools that I've used when when I helped me. Uh, One of the things was like my dad, I mentioned before, he's a mystic. And he's developed a sort of a, a series of te- technology, like spiritual technology for working on yourself and releasing a lot of the negative stuff. So he guided me through a series of processes to, uh, to get me to the point where I could say I'm the one that's okay and everybody's wrong. He's actually the one that asked me the question for the first time. Have you ever considered that it's the world that's incorrect and you're actually okay? And I was like, Oh, wow! No, never consider that. Well, let's work on that. How uh, we we get you to that point?
0: That's such a powerful perspective. Yeah. Too. And I mean, like, <laughs> right. well, it's like I, I can understand the hesitance of being like, well, how is that possible? Like, how could the world be wrong and I could yeah. be okay? But like, if you even just like like take for a moment this kind of like bravery it takes to step into that idea, like I feel like it has the, like like has the capacity to blow your mind, yes. right? Like. <laughs> So, so first
2: it was like getting comfortable with that possibility and then just moving towards that being the reality in your life. Mm-hmm. And I would say like 80, percent of the time I'm living in that space mm-hmm. and there's like times where I'm like, oh, I still suck, I'm still that person. <laughs> but, but that's just the human condition. Right,
0: <laughs> right, right, exactly. Well, and that's, I, think, I think valuing and, and really acknowledging that like whatever sort of, you know, identity or energy you might be putting out there, like it is complex. and. You can be a shitty human no matter what, and you can be a good human no matter what, and you can also be both throughout, you know, the context of an hour or fifteen minutes, whatever, right? So that I think is really important to acknowledge is that like just cause you're, you know, masculine, feminine, whatever, like you can still also just be a good or shitty human and like a lot of that comes down to just how you are as a human and sometimes we get really caught up in, in, in defining and assigning someone's bad or good behavior to mm-hmm. their gender, gender expression yeah. right which i just find so interesting mm-hmm. and that's one of the things i think it's really important to talk about masculinity because we do as you know as, as someone who does live their life as a woman like i just see a lot of masculinity that's really it's it's painful and it's painful to oneself and painful to others and um you know just finding positive examples is hard um, and so I, I'd be curious, I think you had talked a little bit about, you know, having people sort of call you out on your shit and say, hey, like, is that really the kind of man you want to mm-hmm. be? So, like, what, you know, what, what were some of your positive examples and, or, or are, like, you know, are there, like, like, what, what was that like for you? <laughs> like, did well, you, how did you find that?
2: In the moment, it was painful, like, I would take it personal, mm. like, a personal attack. Yeah. And, and I would get offended and upset. But then, eventually I like, caught on, it's like, these people are telling me this because they care about me. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think that like if you don't really care about the other person or helping them grow or see something, you just don't say anything. You're just like, I'm just not going to deal with this asshole and talk to them. But they actually took the time to do that and, and even um, either educate me or point me to resources to educate myself. So I'm very grateful for, for that, for sure. And it could be things just like taking too much space when you're talking too much. Right. Um, or. Or you're just like taking property of the space somehow, one way or another. A lot of that was a lot of the event of after, or something. Just saying things that was just. Like, can't think of a specific example, but just something that was just. Um, I, I did have something s- relatively recent happen with a with a, a a woman friend of mine, and when we kind of analyzed it, it came out of my. In in Mexican culture, it's very very common to sexualize everything, and mm-hmm. uh, we make a sexual. Yeah. Innuendo out of everything, right and, and that's kind of part of where I'm coming from sometimes, and, and so I made mean, a you know kind of like innuendo about something she said, and she felt very comfortable and comfortable with that, and she, she told me, hey, I you know I felt very comfortable with that comment you said, and, um, and coming from you as a male now, you know even more so, and and we work, and I, nevertheless and I it was coming kind of a lot of it from my cultural thing. Right, uh, which was great to see that because I'm like more aware of it. Right. Um, so that's an example I guess you can say recently of being yeah. called, called on that.
0: Well, and I think that's a really good point to make and like think about of like how as people who are expressing masculinity and how as men like what are some of the tools that you have to work through those challenging moments because like you said like taking up space is a big one and for me as somebody who lives very publicly on Facebook, like. Every single time, nine times out of ten, if there's somebody, you know, coming in to start a, sort of, like, Facebook comment war on something I've posted, literally every single time, the person who's posting paragraph and paragraph and paragraph and paragraph long comments about abortion access is a man. And I'm like, hey buddy, like, are you experiencing this? Do you experience this? No? Okay, like you can have your your thoughts and opinions about it, but when you take up comment like paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs on it, honestly it feels like you're a little bit insensitive to the fact that you will never have to have an abortion. Right? And so I think like that, that idea of taking up space in that way is it, it's a hard one to and it also like as a white person, right? You know, like this is something that we all have to deal with in the various sort of intersections of our identities, but like how do you think about how much space am I taking up? And, and what does that feel like for other people and how are other people perceiving that? And that's such an interesting tool to develop and I think it's something that we all have to develop, again, at the intersections of our identity. So what other tools do you all have as far as being a man or masculine person in this world? You know, How do you navigate those those challenging situations where someone is gonna probably call you out and say, hey, that thing you said was fucked up. And again, this is, all people, right, but like what are some of the tools that y'all have or that you use to navigate those situations, you know, in a way that works for you and that helps you grow and learn, et cetera, et cetera.
3: Um, Well, I would say for me, one of the most important things I've learned from my fellow tool is realizing that. Um, sometimes, I'm wrong. Mm. Ooh, yeah, yeah. More. And <laughs> being able to admit that,
0: so, <laughs> sorry. right?
3: Sorry. You know, because sometimes, <laughs> um, you know, I'll get into, or I used to get into arguments with people, and just like, for me, it was just kind of like fun to do the, to the intellectual repartee. Right, right. Right? Um, to play the devil's advocate. Yeah, yeah, devil's yeah advocate. exactly. And I mean, I stopped doing that once I realized, how much it was pissing people off yeah. and alienating people who are my friends, just making them angry for no reason. Because I was actually just arguing things I didn't actually feel super strongly about. I was just taking the opposite position because I was being um, rhetorical. Right. You're
0: like, but, this could be a fun thing to talk about. Uh, yeah. Um, and someone's like, that's my lived experience. Could you please <laughs> not? It's actually really painful
3: to hear you. But do like this. When, I, when I would have conversations with people, once I realized that I can be wrong, uh-huh. right? I would be. Re- I realized like. What I'm saying is having an effect, you know, on the person who I'm, I'm talking to. Like they're having feelings about it, irrespective of what, you know, we're actually talking about or the the objective truth, you know, quote, unquote, what we're talking about. I'm still hurting them, right? And that's what's bothering them. And I'm wrong because I don't really care about what I'm talking about. It's not really super important to me. It's important to them. I've hurt them, and I'm just wrong, and I should apologize. Right. And then move on. So if you can do that, it's a very useful tool and very powerful. Just realize, like, oh my God, I don't have to be right all the time. Right. I can be wrong. Right. That's great.
0: Well, and that's one of the things that I think I hear a lot from a, a, a lot from the men folk is that it's like, oh, this pressure to always be right and always be a provider is so intense, mm-hmm. and like dealing with that on a regular basis is hard. And then when you feel like you're fucking it up, like. Then, then, it's, then it's like, double shame and guilt sandwich, and you're just like, fuck all of this. Like, this is hard and I hate it. And it's easy to just shut down and not be able to hear that criticism. But one of the things I think, and, and I, I like the way you put it of like, it is sometimes like a huge weight off your chest just to be wrong, you know? And it like feels good sometimes to admit that you're wrong. And that's something that maybe takes practice to have that feel good. But like, it can feel so fucking good to just admit that you're wrong and be like, I fucked up. And I think that that's something that again, for a lot of masculine folks, it's hard to sort of get into that mindset. I think we had two questions. So I think you had a question.
4: Well, I just wanted to say, I think, Part of it is uh, getting to a place where you are okay with being wrong, Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of shame associated with being wrong in certain situations and, you know, having an intellectual debate with somebody, you're supposed to win, you're supposed to win. So instead, changing it to, well, wait a minute, maybe I actually need to listen to what someone's saying, because it's important, as opposed to a, a contest.
0: Well, and that's that's a really great comment, and, and it kind of reminds me of, like, um, I went to a conference, um, like a sex ed business conference called Sex Geek Summer Camp, and it's really super fun, and it's awesome, and it's a bunch of sex educators and sex positive professionals getting together in the woods of West Virginia and learning business things, but, like, there is also an offer, like, there's a, like, it is... It is talked about openly that you can have, like there's a play dome, right? You can go fuck in the play dome, and it's great, you know? But that means that there are also people there who are like looking to do that, right? And so I had a friend who came into this situation and her thing was like, I'm gonna say no to everybody. And that was just her thing. She's like, I'm gonna say no to everybody who approaches me for any sort of sexual connection at all, I'm just gonna say no. Because for her, she needed to practice saying no, and she needed to really practice setting that boundary because as someone who was socialized as a woman, it was so hard for her to say no. And so she just said, fuck it, I'm gonna come here where like the land, like like, the opportunity is ample, you know, and I can fuck anybody I wanted here, and I'm just gonna say no, Hmm. right? And so I think that's kind of this thing of like putting yourself in the mindset of like, what if I just argued this like I was wrong? Or what if I just really took the position that I was wrong and went from there? You know, and so starting off in that place of being wrong or saying no, and then exploring what that feels like, and like, maybe it's uncomfortable, right? And, and again, as, as a woman, saying no to people is hard, right? And I frequently am like, I should say no to that. Oh, it's so awkward, and I have so many feelings about it. So that whole idea of like, oh, like, I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to be the person who's saying the wrong thing, but like, It's actually okay, and it is sometimes liberating, and it is—it is a really powerful thing to do to admit that you're wrong, and so I think that's such a—that's such a good skill to think about, and for anybody, not you know, regardless of gender. I think it's such an interesting skill that we don't actually ever, ever talk about. So, yeah, thank you. Um,
2: (laughs) (laughs) I did have a uh, couple things to, and I think they go very in hand with what you were both saying. for me it's a matter of willing to be uncomfortable, mm. um, which including like willing to be wrong, you have to be uncomfortable, comfortable with being uncomfortable and that realization. And also a big thing, and I think also this applies to any aspect of life for any gender and age, is just take responsibility and own it, like this is how you feel, this is how you're you thinking. Yeah, right. That
0: yeah, this makes <laughs> a big, big difference.
2: Um, yeah. in it and, and also what, as you, t- you talking about being wrong, you know there's so much negativity in the li- label of wrong, like it's yeah. like, maybe it's just like this is the way I've thought so far and it's worked for me so far and I've been right about it so far, maybe it's, now it's time for a new way of thinking, it's not so Ooh. much that I've been wrong, it's just that I was missing information or my environment, the well, way I am change. change whatever, something's changed it's time for me for a new framework. one want to serve me anymore. I think that lifts a lot of that shame and anger towards myself for being wrong.
0: Right, well, it's like this. there's this expectation of like, oh, you should like get it all the time and you should always be at a place of understanding about complex ideas and concepts. And no, like, that's ridiculous. Like, you're never going to, like, it's hard for humans to be able to grasp all of this and to be able to understand and hold the complexity. So actually giving yourself space to be wrong, and I love that idea of like, it's not necessarily that you're wrong, it's that you haven't had the tools to. Or you you haven't had the perspective or whatever to have this this conversation yet, or to have this perspective yet, and like it's just now happening, and that's not you're not bad for having it happen just now. You're still you're still on the path, yeah. right? Yeah. And like sometimes when you're like on the path, you might like take a small detour or like sprain your ankle for a little bit, but that but doesn't mean that you have to like yeah, you don't have to like <laughs> cut your leg off, right? Like we're good, we can keep going. Just take a moment, take a breather, and just you know keep going on that. Oh, that's I really like that perspective. Yeah. Um, So then I guess what are some of the ways like okay if, if you could talk to the younger version of yourself and specifically talking about masculinity and sexuality what are some of the words of advice you might give a younger version of yourself as far as how to embrace masculinity and sexuality in a way that is authentic and healthy and all of that good stuff so
3: uh, well, the words of wisdom I could give to my younger self? About yes. How to be a better man? Mm-hmm. Um, don't I would say like don't be so preoccupied with um, sex or getting laid. Don't worry about what you need to do to get into bed like um, the, the woman. That was something because I, I was also a late bloomer so I didn't like lose my virginity until I was like nineteen. Mm-hmm. Um But I mean like when I was young and then when I was like, um, you know, I guess at my horniness, I was like I was seeing all these striped women and I was like trying to figure out like, what's the strategy of what do I do? How do I get there? And if I just really realized like, hey, calm down, right? Don't think of it as like a game and like they're to the pray and you're hunter and you have to chase them. right? Just like treat them as people. Have conversations, get to know them, like you know, the people that you're with. Things will come mm-hmm. much more naturally, mm-hmm. you know. So don't think of it as a, um, a zero-sum game. Like if, if these guys have something, I have less of it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Just try and form relationships with people that you like, you know. Not just don't do it because you feel like you have to because you're desperate to get like those matches on your
0: bedpost. Right. Well, and it's like some of those relationships might turn into friendships. Some of those relationships might turn into romantic partnerships. Some of them might turn into sexual partnerships. But it's it doesn't have to be you know a certain way to have value, or it doesn't have to be a certain way for you to feel like okay now I'm a man because yeah.
3: I, I guess like the advice i would is like don't look to you know sex you know sex or intercourse as a way of getting gratification um, and or. Um, value for yourself, right? Find that, you know, become a whole you know a whole person, find value with what you do and the person that you are, and then sex will be good anyway. Mm-hmm. Don't look to have sex to make yourself feel good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome,
0: thank you. Uh, I think
2: there's two main things I want <laughs> to right. One is... Like there's a book about it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> book, but yeah, but it's a book. <laughs> One important would be that your notion of masculinity is not tied to the degree of control you feel you have in life. Because mm. I feel like a lot of masculinity has this close side to power and power mm. to control. So like the more i control and the more power I have, the more masculine I am. Mm. When there's no, I mean, feminine is powerful too right. and control. That doesn't exist. <laughs> right. not, wait, real, wait. not real. Yeah. There's very little things we actually control. Um, so that would be one of them. And another one would be, uh, you get to define what that means. For yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you can look around, you can find models of what to do, what not to do. Um, but in the end, it's up to you. You get to choose what that means. Okay. And that can change, too. Right. It's not sitting still. Mm-hmm. Those two things will permit it. In the big ones
0: right now. Yeah, well, and it, right as exactly, you're like I'm still on the journey. I'll Fair let you enough. know. Yeah. Um, well, and I think one of the things that you and I have talked about is that it's hard for you, being somebody who is sort of very like stereotypically masculine, where you have like facial hair and sort of darker features, and you're you know sort of the bigger guy, like like you're tall. And you're like, hey. Oh, he masculine. Oh, he masculine. That would be oh, yeah. so fun. Um, so yeah. as as somebody who has that and, and who is is read as a very masculine person. You like I describe you as like a crab, right? So you've got like a hard outer shell, but like really soft, gooey insides, you mm-hmm. know. And so it's like it's hard for you where you're like, oh, people see me as this like big, scary man, but I'm also like a, like I have feelings, and right? like I have lots of them, and like I'm you know soft and gooey on the inside. Like, mm-hmm. how do you sort of how do you navigate that situation of uh, of feeling comfortable expressing masculinity in the way that you do?
3: And also trying to trying to reach people, and I'm like, I don't know if you have this figured out yet. Moving no, on. I mean I I, I don't. <laughs> <what> I mean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've always been a very shy person, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but I you said, like the, the the way I present to the world, I get interpreted as being very intimidating to people, right? So if you have like someone who's like, I'm not quite six feet tall, but um, like I said, I have dark features and you know prominent like goatee, um, and I'm shy, so I'm quiet. Mm, right, so right. people assume like quiet, stoic, you know, person, always oh, he's it's
0: scary. <laughs> yeah, know they, yeah. they, they, they they're like, the I'm scared. And like, really, what <laughs> yeah. I, really what I
3: want, though I'm shy, like, I want to like, talk to people, I want to get to know people, but mm-hmm. it's, it's very difficult. Right. Um, so, I mean, that has its advantages and its disadvantages. So the people who are also shy or at least willing to like um, hang around and figure it out, that's been valuable. Um, So it's actually a very useful tool in that when you when you're a shy person and you're around other people who are like awkward Or like most people will just talk and like about whatever themselves I
0: don't know anything about that.
3: (laughs) Well, so if you're a shy person and you're just quiet You can just listen and then they're just giving you free information all day Mm -hmm. So that's useful because it makes you a good listener, right? people value that. Mm -hmm. So The result of my introversion, right? And my being like shy and quiet is is like developed the skill of like being able to listen and understand and then repeat back to people that I understand what they're saying, um, and it makes them feel like closer to me. So it's turning a negative into a positive. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Because when you, when you there's also this idea that the quiet, shy person is also wise or contemplative or pensive, you know. So people uh, ascribe certain like profound. Thoughts to the
0: things that I say. Mm. That's
3: cool. Yeah, yeah. It's for, That was mm-hmm.
1: deep.
0: I
4: think we have a question. Um, as frivolous and, and like arbitrary as it is, like labels, do you. So for somebody who doesn't know about this, is there like a, a certain term you use to identify yourself to somebody that doesn't know? Like whether or sleep.
1: I could say I'm fucking. Uh, a person mm-hmm.
4: but is like okay so like I'm gender fluid kind of whatever kind of I'm not even gay or like it's, it's like non-binary like what, 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 what is there like is there something you can explain to somebody who's not um, a part of this like culture like is there, is there like, labels like is like how, how, how does it
3: work uh, who are you asking? for all of us? Yeah, all of us.
0: So, and that—that and, and that was a very interesting question. Is, um, you know, how do you like? And again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what you're asking is, how do you identify yourself to people who are maybe outside of this culture that talks about gender and, expli- and examines it? How do you identify yourself in a way that that you feel seen and heard, and that you're like accurately representing yourself? Yes. Does that Thank work? you. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um. So I mean, I you know, y'all can answer that. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, well, I mean, the I guess um, I would find myself as a, as a cis man, right? I've never felt any other way my entire life, so I, I just, um, yeah, the, the the gender and the sex that I was assigned at birth is always what I've identified with, so I've never had any moments of doubt as far as my gender identity has been concerned. My sexuality has been, um... Norm, you know, normatively like straight, I guess. But when I describe it to other people, I would say, you know, that I'm like heteroflexible. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is like I've had numerous sexual encounters that have involved, that involved men, but none that uh, were necessarily we were not doing anything together. Because I, right. I don't have any problem with men being there or participating. You know, um, I
0: guess we're talking about sex with more than two people here. Right? right. Yeah. So, <laughs> y'all weren't aware of that. Um, <laughs> But it doesn't—it doesn't, it doesn't I mean, do anything
3: for me, you know. I mean, I've had people, I've had men like fillet me, or yeah, like
0: will you tell the story of the like sneaky
3: blowjob? Oh no, <laughs> I hear I know, I know. I know.
0: I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
3: Oh well, okay. So <laughs> I, had, I had gotten together with a with a couple, a man and a woman, uh-huh. and we've gone back to their hotel room, and we were having our sexual dalliance, and I was having sex with his wife. And uh, he was next to her, lying uh, next to her, like whispering sweet nothings into her ear. Something caught my attention. I thought someone knocked at the door. That was in there was something. So I, <laughs> I looked away for a minute, and then when I looked back, uh, his mouth was on my cock. And I was like, oh. Yeah. Okay. Um, I didn't know that was gonna happen.
0: That's not consensual by the
3: way. That was not consensual.
0: Um, we didn't do that. This, yeah. is, this is not on the advice of what to do. This is don't do this because that's shitty. But yeah. Oh,
3: yeah. So <laughs> he didn't like freak me out because I, I have noticed with other like straight men that when you're in another like sexual situation with another man, they're very concerned about the proximity proximity of their the penises.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So right? Like, if, if they should
3: have to like raise each other, oh, like, god. Oh my god, I'm gay now And like for me I've always felt like that was just an occupational hazard, you know <laughs> I liked group sex. And I especially like group
1: sex with two men because I always felt like it was half the work. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that was good. Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: right?
0: And I mean, really, it's with anybody, but mm-hmm. but if there's another person there, you have someone you can tag out with, and you're like, hey, oh my god, my arm's getting so tired, could you please?
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> flexible in the sense that I, I have no problem interacting with men or being around men in a sexual situation, but in and of itself, is not going to Arouse me. Uh,
2: for myself, I I find that trying to label myself is like trying to walk on walk on quicksand. Mm-hmm. I just cannot find one that's actually stable enough. Uh, but I've been using mostly trans masculine, gender fluid, queer. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah we're like, I remember like, I sometimes add on other ones, yeah. I mean, yeah. sometimes I take them away. So
2: yeah, there's so many of them. Yeah, because yeah, I'm definitely, you know, and the part of being trans for me is important to have it there, yeah. um, because another one of the tools that I have used to, you know, come be okay with myself is being more public about all my different intersections and yeah. different identities. Like the more, this is why I agree to do things like this and then, like the workshop that I'm going to be doing next week. Um, it's opportunities for me to be public because what helped me is knowing there's other people out there who have shared experiences and they're doing okay. So if I can put it out there that yeah, I've been through this and that and I'm still here and I'm okay and I'm happy, mm-hmm. um, have other people hear that is like, that's going to do for them what that did for me. Right. So those are the levels that I'm kind of using or trying out for science right now. Right.
0: Well, and one of the things I think that's really cool about labels is if you can create a label that has, that that makes people want to ask you more questions, Mm -hmm. right? And so it's like, for me, my definition of queer might be different than your definition of queer, right? And so if somebody ever says... It's a term. Right, exactly. Like, what do you... like, Like, someone's like, oh, I'm queer. I'm like, what do you mean by queer? Right? Because for me, queer involves my sexuality and my politics. And those two things are very, very tightly intertwined. So tight. And so so for me, like that's a really big thing, but for a lot of queer folks, it doesn't involve their politics, right? And that's fine too. So I think providing labels that help people ask more questions because we don't have a lot of experience talking about all of this, and we don't have a lot of experience really understanding it in a way that allows space for everybody, right? We've for so long been sort of programmed into a binary of man-woman, gay-straight. And so when we allow space to say like what is like you know, what is queer, I think that, that that furthers the conversation which then ends up being really good for everybody because it does allow for more space. So that's that's kind of my approach to like identity and labels, is that it's tricky, it's changing, you know, and, and for some people it makes them feel really uncomfortable to have to label themselves, and that's fine too. But allowing allowing identities to happen in a way that lets you ask more questions and get more information is, for me, like the ideal situation. So yeah, that, that would be my answer to that question. That's great. Yeah. An answer. Cool. Holy shit. Um, and just because my phone is Facebook live here, and I also, at the beginning of this, I told people, I was like, I'm going to make an announcement to let the Facebook Live people know that it might be upside down. I didn't do that. But if you are watching on Facebook Live, it might be upside down. You probably figured it out. You probably figured it out. You probably figured it out a while ago. It is. It is. It's so, so funny. Like it. My um, I can barely read it from here. My phone says storage almost full. And oh, yeah. like, shut up, I know. Wow. <laughs> I have too much porn on my phone. So, uh, so yeah, if we can just get a time check.
1: Uh, we're at 53 minutes. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Great.
0: So then, one of the other things I wanted to talk about is actually, I'm so glad that both of you are here. Um, is um, one. I wanted to ask you a, like, a couple quick questions about what it's like to be the partner of somebody who works at a sex shop because ah. that's a funny thing, right? What it's like. Yeah, right, exactly. And then also, because you and I went to a conference. We didn't go together, but we ended up rooming together at a sexuality conference. And I think that was your first conference, right? Mm-hmm. OK, so I would love to know. I'll start with you. What are like? Okay, so we went to Woodhull Sexual Freedom Summit. It was awesome. Um, what were some of the things that you, like? what did you think about a sex ed conference before you went? And then, what was your experience going there, and how were those things different, or like what you know, what ideas did you did meet meet uh, What ideas met your expectations, mm-hmm. things like that? You know, I,
2: I've been wanting to write about my experience ever since I got back, and I still haven't found the words for it. Well,
0: maybe you'll find them. Right so now. maybe you guys have these words. And they're coming to me. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, I think part of it too is that I felt very out of place. Yeah. And I'm still trying to figure out how much of that is my own awkwardness, and because I'm also I've considered myself a shy person uh, and pretty pretty you know socially awkward at times, especially like large groups of people. And I feel like uh, it was a very uh, mostly uh, white. It's
0: a very white space. Sex education space. in general. is very white. And and also I feel like.
2: There's a huge difference of white people in New Mexico versus white people in the East Coast. Oh,
0: yeah, okay. And I, and I don't
2: know how to explain it exactly, it's just, it's more of a feeling, a position I have.
0: Well, it's like white people who are used to being around brown people versus white people who are not used to yeah, being around guess, brown yeah. people. So, yeah, yeah, I yeah. think
2: that's a big thing. Yeah. Um, so I felt very like, oh, I don't know how to move in this space. Right, yeah. right. right. Um, but in, in the workshops, I found I. Like, I guess I just had this idea of what a workshop looks like or a mm-hmm. session, and a lot of them felt very like academic and very mm-hmm. intellectual, and and I didn't feel like very very much a part. I felt like very much an audience, mm-hmm. but didn't feel very involved. So to me that was like surprising, because I thought it was going to be like me doing more things, mm-hmm. like figuring out more things about myself, right. as opposed to like, like hearing somebody talk about something. Right. But they were so interesting. It's like oh okay, well now no, I'm okay with that. That's interesting what these people <laughs> right. are saying. But I did find that I enjoyed mostly the workshops given by either trans people, or people of color, or mm-hmm. trans people of color. Those
0: were mm-hmm. the this three workshops I went to. And it's like, oh,
2: yeah, this is and, and they all had more to do with, like, let's actually tell, tell our stories. And it's actually, uh, like, all of us in this room talked t- to each other. Right. right. And, and, and let's talk about how we feel about things and not how, what we think about things. And for me, that was like, oh, yeah, this is more like, I people.
0: Right, right, right. Um,
2: so that was a big thing uh, for me, um, but I, I I did appreciate the fact that even exists, and that there's people out there um, talking about sex and fighting for our right to have sex and a right to talk about sex in so many different areas. Mm-hmm. You know, academic and legal and, and, and porn and toys and and, um, and psychology. And it's it's all the, everything that has to do with life. Everything in life is touched by sexuality, whether we like it or not, whether we're aware of it or not. And to me, seeing all those different people doing their part to make that possible for everybody was very, uh, very
1: positive. I'm so glad that we got
0: to share that experience together for a moment. All right, Charles. Mm What the fuck did I get you into? Like, sort of like what? what? Question. Okay, we've we've got a question. Do you want to start with the
4: audience questions? Sure. Do you have Do
1: you have time? Uh, we have about five minutes. Five minutes. Okay. Let's so go far, for it. So, so as far as like like sexual education, uh-huh. uh, um, there there's a wide population need.
4: B for one. It's just basically like a uh, missionary and fucking doggy. Right,
0: right. Like right. got two positions, you're good to go. So, <laughs> so what what
4: does your what, what happens after that
0: though? Right. Well, there's only one or two more positions, and then after that, you're fucked. Uh, <laughs> uh,
1: ah. <thanks.
0: laughs> missionary and doggy. Like, what, what, yeah. what? What's left? What else is there? Thing? Well, so this I can kind of translate into you. Like, like what are some of the things that you know, being in a relationship with somebody who does this work has exposed you to, and like, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly. We want to hear all of it.
3: Um, well, I mean, I guess, I mean, I've always been kind of kinky, right?
0: Um, kind of kinky. <laughs> kind of.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't, I, I, like I said, I lost my virginity, you know, when I was 19. It happened to be in a, in a threesome, impromptu. <laughs> right? I didn't know that was going to happen. Um, and ever since then I've always been interested in like, in, like group sets. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of ventured from there into like kinky sets, mm-hmm. right? was more like the BDSM crowd. So the, the advantageous nature of like you is now I get to do that, um, but-
0: You don't have to hide it, you don't have to
3: be ashamed. But well, <laughs> it, it, being around people that you spend your time with, right? right. And I've accompanied you to many conferences. Um, or parties, or things of energy. There's going to be other sex educators there, or other people who are just down. Yeah. Do, you feel, do you feel like, um,
4: like anything beyond missionary and doggy is just like a novelty?
3: No, I think, um, I feel like anything that feels good, do it. You know? yeah, missionary and doggy style, have their place. They're good, standard booths, right? Standard. standard. Yeah, you know, but like,
0: get some up for, like, yeah, you know. like, it's really yeah. good. Yeah. But,
3: like, person on top, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. um, standing. <laughs> <laughs> Any, anything that you can do, as long as it feels good, and everyone's, like, consenting to it, I'm all for
0: it. Right, yeah. right.
3: And as many people as you need involve <laughs> all right, exactly.
0: Well, that was one of the things that I felt really lucky about, because, um, I've you know, had other partners that are sort of in this realm and great, and then some other partners that who were not so into it. And so being with partners who are like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's do that. <laughs> and then it's not this scary conversation of like, um, hey, so I just wanted to try this thing, and I'm really scared to tell you, but I think it'd be really fun. And when you have somebody who's like, oh, yeah, I just jerked off to that fantasy like two days ago. And you're like, oh, my God, yes. Like, I mean, that's been a really nice thing. Uh, and also, like, dating other sex educators, I was like, oh, cool. And then you're not a sex educator, but I remember our first date. I was like, I'm sorry, what? You like group sex and you're kinky? <laughs> Damn, this is great. Oh, this is okay. so <laughs> good. I, yeah, I, I yeah. have
4: to deal with this.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I think that's actually pretty much all the time we have. Um, but you both are amazing, and thank, thank you, you so much for joining me. Woo! Woo! So
4: yes, so great.
0: Yeah, this is this is great, and also like, fuck yeah, for the first New Mexico Paz game. Woo! <laughs> more podcasting advice. coming up so um, stay tuned to the Facebook page and other places it might be live streamed, but just have a good night thank you we love and appreciate your feedback on our show email us at info at to send your feedback via email or you can call us at 505 585 5538 to leave us an audio comment make sure to find us on social media sites to stay up to date with what we're doing we have Instagram Twitter or Facebook and you can find us at Self-Serve Toys. You can also leave a comment there, and we'll share it if you like, and you can get your voice and your perspectives heard on our show. We also want to give a huge shout-out to our music, which was created by The Lazarus Letcher. Hope to see you next time.